Well, we're excited to have Nimesh Patel on our podcast today. He was uh, so gracious to, uh, you know, to spend his time. He's been really doing a lot. So it was fun to hear about what he's up to. Um, you know, he is someone who is also interested in mental health, uh, just like on his own accord. So it was great to talk about that and how that plays into his comedy. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun, fun time we're grappling with as a society the riddle of what can be laughed at and what can't be laughed at and um and he goes on to point out in the podcast uh this idea that we all have uh intuitively that oftentimes laughing at something is a way of healing from it you know um and there may not be something um something in the category of no laughing matter because when when we do a good job of making a joke about something it has the effect of making its power uh, go away um, it's power to hurt us. So uh, not to make things too serious. I mean, he's a lovely guy. So uh, it was such a fun time talking to him. And without further ado, here's the podcast. First of all, thank you so much, man, for doing this. Um, Thanks for having me. We're, uh, we're the Manmukti podcast. Manmukti is like an organization that started like a few years ago with the mission of um, helping you know, South Asians get access to mental health resources and find community. Okay, cool. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I, I, I think I've heard about you or read about you a while ago. I was looking at um, uh, a, a place I could make donations to. Um, and I think I came across your, like, how long, how old are you guys? Like in terms of how, how long has Mon Mukti existed as an organization? Something like four to five years. Yeah, um, I think it was a few years ago. Um, that was looking while, while I was at SNL. Um, but I don't think you're, it didn't seem as robust as you guys are now. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure around since, um, all that to say, like, I've been thinking about mental health in our community for quite a while. So uh, it's cool to see young people talking about it. Cool. That's really cool, man. Thank you. Well, I mean, like, what made you like think about it or what's gotten you to think about it? I just think we don't talk about it enough. Um, and from a comedy perspective, I was like, why the fuck don't we talk about all our problems? And so uh, it was really like, that was the impetus and I had some family stuff going on. I was like, I should probably learn more about this. Um, and it also just logically makes sense that we would have mental health issues given uh, uh, generational trauma and what have you so you know it just kind of sparked my interest and you know I've kept up or at least tried to continuously inform myself about what's going on in mental health in general and then allowing my own experiences to inform my thought uh, uh, my view on all of it so mm -hmm. right that's really it nice. and uh thanks Audrey for like being up on Nimesh's, you know, Instagram and like finding out that he's in <laughs> talking to people. So this, yeah, um, I mean, the, uh, the podcast run is just, uh, I wanted to uh, start a grassroots campaign for this cartoon that I made a few mm -hmm. over, over quarantine with a friend of mine. And I was like, I'm just going to do every, you know, I'll, I'll have a press agent do like the bigger ones, but I think I could reach out to smaller ones or have smaller ones reach out to me and just be like, let's just hop on every single one I can mm -hmm. um, and see if I can build momentum. And, uh, you know, if they happen to be not just talk shit comedy podcast, but like 
podcast with some kind of angle or meaning, then all the better, you know? Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I know I, I was noticing that you were really, you know, hitting the pavement with podcasts. So I was like, oh, like what's what's going on? Um, I think this is my, I don't know, 10th, 11th of 30 that I have slated to do. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's it's been rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I've been trying not to cancel. I was going to, when I woke up, I was like, I went to sleep at like 4 a.m. And I oh, woke gosh. up at like 9. I was like, if it wasn't mental health one, this this wouldn't be happening right now. <laughs> like, guys, All right, guys, we lucked like, out. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, appreciate it, and especially no, yeah, having an early morning. Um, it's it's kind of morning for us as well, so it's kind of nice. It's where are you guys? Good day. Uh, we're in Texas, so I'm in Austin, and oh, okay. uh, you're in Tyler right now. So it's like 9 a.m. for us, which isn't okay. like crazy bad. It's it's fine. No. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, since you have been doing so many, is there anything like, I mean, like, honestly, like that you're just like tired of talking about, I know you're like promoting your cartoon and stuff. Is there anything you're like, oh, God, can they like not talk about this? Or like, I wish they asked me about this. Oh, no, I mean, uh, I'm always happy to talk about myself and <laughs> uh, the journey and self in comedy, but um a lot of it is redundant in that I put it out like I when I put my album out last year probably like the, the fourth to last track is called let go and let Luger and that's a like a 20 minute self interview where I just kind of explain my uh, growth in comedy and my point in comedy up until that point mm. and so when it's like uh uh, hey, how did you get started in comedy? I'm like, uh, go to track 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, just kind of get into that autopilot mode. Um, but no, there's nothing I'm really tired of talking about uh, beyond like talking about Columbia, um, mm -hmm. only because I've talked about that probably the most. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but beyond that, no, there's nothing that's uh, I'm tired of uh, stuff. There's stuff I won't talk about. Um, yeah. My family life in general. Uh, but beyond that, that's just like a personal choice to keep my private life private. Otherwise, it wouldn't be private. But right. uh, beyond that, uh, I'm fair game. Okay, cool. Fair enough, man. I mean, so we just saw the cartoon, um, <laughs> and it was hilarious. But Thank you. Uh, uh, we have a lot of ahead. questions about it, you know, because it was such a, a, a different thing from, like, other things you do. You know, like, a, as a comedian, you kind of are, like, um, you have this kind of, like, is it kind of a, just like a what was I saying Audrey like a Dave like trajectory or like like a, a path right where it's like you do uh you know stand up a special a book um maybe a podcast or something and then now you're and so you know you're I guess like on that path this cartoon falls and it's like that's that's cool it's interesting um so like thank you yeah what made you come up with it what was the idea behind it yeah, I mean, so uh, read your first point, you know, like uh, on a path, it's more just like, I just want to do everything that I've ever wanted to do. Um, and as I get into positions or find myself in opportunities that allow me to do those things, I'm just going to do them. Um, and so, you know, and that's an MO I've had since, I don't know, I don't know how long, but it ebbs and flows, you know, like if I have, if I'm like, gainfully employed that allows me to uh, use resources to do things like make a music album which I did last year or um, 
do a cartoon, which, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't gainfully employed until like three weeks ago mm-hmm. um, when I got a uh, writing job with Lily Singh. Um, mm-hmm. But like the cartoon just came about, you know, once quarantine happened, uh, a friend of mine hit me up. That, a friend of mine I had met like two years ago hit me up uh, and was like, he's an engineer and him and his friends had put together what they call a learning group. And his friends happened to be uh, a portfolio manager at a, at a hedge fund, um, an investment banker who was like the CEO level investment banker does distressed asset investing in Brazil and a venture capitalist um, and board member of uh, a bunch of startup companies. And so the four of them and like two other people um, had this idea of what can they do to talk about climate change, the four of them. Um, and so he hit me up saying, Hey, we have this idea to put a bunch of, uh, create a bunch of Twitter accounts, um, where a bunch of animals are talking to each other about climate change. And they cited the dolphin that appeared in the Venice canal as like one of their inspirations because they saw that, Oh my God, animals are so free now that humans are locked up. Um, look how, how the world has improved. And, you know, it had, you know, Delhi from, from India, you could finally see like, um, the Himalayas like that was a, mm. I remember that seeing that image and be like oh my god that's how much pollution has reduced and so with that like they hit me up um, was like hey do you know any comedians that would be interested in like creating these Twitter accounts and you know manning these accounts and talking shit from each one of them and I was like no <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> a, that's an interesting or goofy idea on paper but you know an execution that would get boring real fast with for people at least people at my writing level who uh, would want to do something, who would want to do something that had a much higher ROI in terms of the work that would go into that. Cause you know, mm-hmm. like realistically, like you're not going to pop off Twitter or, you know, the Twitter thing that you're starting, it's going to take a lot more work and time than what you anticipate. Mm. And so uh, I had this idea, I was like, what if we do something animated? Um, Cause it sounds like animals in a zoo seems like a perfect uh, analog for what's going on with humans in quarantine, right? We're all locked mm. up and, and left to our own devices. Um, and what happens in the absence of uh, power? And so my approach, my uh, texting my friend Mookie, now Mookie Thompson, who's my co-creator on the project. Um, and he's like a comedy writing savant. And we've been working together on a bunch of stuff for years. Um, but I hit him up, I was like, yo, these people have resources. Um, I think we could pitch them on an animated idea and let's see what we can do. And so we pitched them on the idea, pitched them on Mookie and they were sold. And then uh, we, you know, it was a long process of like pitching them and understand like developing the whole concept uh, from, from story arc to character development to theme development and all that. Like that took a couple of months of work, but it was like, we worked together with the the group who called themselves the Pangolin Partners. And uh, uh, we developed this show. And then Mookie and I found an animator by the name of Rob Lynch, who was like the guy that did all that shit by himself. Um, wow. and, and our producer, Matt Weir, who like helped storyboard and voices El Pango, the, the revolutionary penguin at the end. <laughs> Uh, and so the four of us, like on the production side, like created this whole thing. 
from scratch basically and Mookie and I you know developed all the characters with input from the from the team and it was just like a labor of love over the last six months or so seven months or so because we I guess I think we started in April and that took like 60 70 hour weeks until until we put the pilot out and at like literally probably a dollar or two an hour because um, it was just like a pure you know the, the resources that the guys allocated most of it went to the animator because animating is like a very difficult job especially when it's just one person doing it and granted we got like an insane rate from him like a very good rate but still like it was a lot mm -hmm. but uh uh yeah that was it it was like it, it, it's it's weird to sum up so quickly but like because it yeah. took fucking seven months but yeah uh, you know and learned a lot it was a tremendous process and it's such a it's such a cool answer to this uh weird void that um we're all feeling as a result of staying at home and missing people and missing comedy i mean it's such a it's a cool answer to that question oh yeah thank you i mean you know it became apparent you know that once lockdown happened I'm gonna, I was gonna need a different outlet because I think the entirety of the year, I've probably been on stage like 10 times, 12 times, mm -hmm. maybe 20 tops. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's normally like two weeks for me. So I was like, I'm gonna need some other outlet. And I felt like, you know, I would adopt a sort of Mamba mentality if you can't see Kobe right there. I, I saw him. that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just like getting better at everything I can get better at and comedy writing and creating a series and learning how to voice um, uh, a, a tiger and a bee and doing voice <laughs> acting and all that, like the skill sets I added to my repertoire um, or to my toolkit, you know, and that was like a goal of mine to just get better at stuff that I couldn't get better at by being on stage. Okay. Mm. You know, so you voiced the tiger as well? Yeah. Okay, mm. I didn't pick up on that. I'm gonna have to rewatch that. That's great. That's I'm cool. Glad you, I'm glad you did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I voiced the tiger and I voiced the bee. Um, yeah. How was that? Like voice acting. Of the octaves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was tough. I mean, Mookie uh, voices the monkey and with the orangutan and uh the rhino and then mm -hmm. our friend matt richards who's uh, i don't know if you've ever played hq but he's one of their hosts on it he does kevin our friend uh phoebe tires who's in that show search party is the penguin is priyanka the penguin mm -hmm. feehan does the, the hippo and the lucas brothers are uh alan paca lucas brothers the, the of, llamas mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah they're alpacas <laughs> but uh, uh, their future, the future Oscar winners, the Lucas brothers, yeah, um, are, are dear friends, and and they generously volunteered their immense talent to the show. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like, I mean, it's been a lot of work, but yeah, I'm very happy with it. So there must be like a lot of comedians and like creators out there who are working on similar things. Do you feel like COVID is going to cause kind of like this kind of a a, uh, an artistic renaissance sort of in like, a, I guess, the next couple of months or a year? I hope that a lot of, I hope that my peers and people who are, you know, coming up, 
have been as productive. And I think they have, I think, I don't think anyone that I know at least has sort of fallen off or, or slacked. I think everyone sees the, the day in terms of this is a tremendous opportunity to uh, get better at stuff and sort of like go into hibernation and emerge as in this new, uh, newly formed being and hopefully for the better. Um, Renaissance, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I definitely know that uh, from my own experience that I've definitely gotten better at understanding social media and uh, uh, putting stuff, putting my content out there, like mm -hmm. creating content, which is such a, a gross phrase to me now, <laughs> but uh, uh, I've just gotten better at that. And I, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of peers do the same and I, I, I hope that it continues in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, I saw that, you know, you've done like live streams as well. And then you also have or had a podcast with your friend Gucci Turban and uh -huh. now it's cartoon series. So it really does seem like you're just putting not putting it all out there, like trying it all out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if COVID taught me anything, it's that time is short. You know, it, it might it feels very long, but life is short. People are dying left and right. And uh we don't have the time with the people we care about as much as we think we have that time. And we don't have as much time to do everything we want to do as we think we do. So just go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that kind of um, like COVID is an example of a shared tragedy that we can all kind of take joy in together? Um, but do you feel like in order to make something funny, it has to come from a place of tragedy or can comedy just come from joy? A comedy is, I think, can purely come from joy and can also come from tragedy if you have your perspective in order. I think COVID has been one of these things where it's affected everyone in very similar ways and that all of us have experienced the fatigue at various points in our lives. Like, I can't go outside or I can't, you know, just go party and do drugs somewhere. Like, yeah. I know I... <laughs> Like, I just want to go out uh, yeah. um, and I know and I want to see my parents and I know people have lost parents and, and brothers and sisters and, and friends. Um, unfortunate for me, you know, I, I, that hasn't been the case, but I definitely know people who have had that problem. Um, and so it, it's been hard to be like, oh, I can relate to a lot of people who have gone through stuff because I, it's affected so many people very differently. But at the same time, we're all on the sort of, uh, I think, you know, next year we'll all look back like, yo, that shit was crazy. You know, yeah. I, can't, I can't believe that that happened. It'll be a blip on the radar in like two years. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we will all look back at this and be like, uh, hopefully we'll all able to laugh at how fucking ridiculous what we've gone through in the last nine months has been, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always wondered about comedians, how they decide, like, what part of their personal life and the pain they go through is game for the stage and, and they can alchemize it into art and then the kind of stuff that they go through that they want to keep private you know like Louis C.K. and Dave Chappelle they have certain attitudes about this I wonder what your attitude is well I think if something is something that you're constantly thinking about that's almost a sign that you should probably talk it out mm -hmm. um, and if you want to if you can uh, find comedy in it, then find comedy in it. Um, and that that's just like, I don't know if there's a science to that, 
necessarily, but I think the sign is that your brain is constantly thinking about it. So it's constantly drawing your attention to it. So it might be worth pursuing on that end, but also, I don't know who said it. Um, it might've been Rock or Dave or, or Louie or anyone, I think, but I don't know specifically, but it is generally a sentiment is like, the more specific something is, the more universal you'll likely find it to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone has a, uh, the more specific something is, the easier it is almost to uh, put Latch your own to. experience on top of it and be like, I can see what in that relates to me and that's why it speaks to me. And so if you, if um, as a comic, if I find something that's like very specific and like a very private thing um, and I make the decision that uh, there's something funny here, then the odds are that someone else will be able to understand it. And actually it might be a lot more universal than it is mm. in terms mm. of what I decide to make personal versus, I mean, public versus private. It's more just like if the private thing involves someone else who I want to keep private, then it's going to stay private, you know, unless it's directly about me or, and I can make it general, um, then it'll remain private. But if I can make it general and it comes from me, then sure, why not? Mm -hmm. That's really insightful. It's almost like the more specific your commentary is, is the more funnier, the more funny it is. It seems like a lot of times people like Sebastian Maniscalco, you know, the way they use like little tiny details to uh, wake up these memories that I didn't even know I had, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a master of the tiny... Can you, you know, the tiny eyebrow movement that someone yeah. makes or whatever, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. For sure. So like, I guess in all this, like what, what purpose does comedy kind of serve you? Like, is it a way to process certain like personal experiences or outside experiences? Like how, how does that all fit in? I think, I think it's, uh, it's definitely that it's, a, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I, when I started comedy, it was a way for me to process things, but mm -hmm. inherently that's what it was. And now that I've been doing it long enough, it's like definitely, I'm like, okay, let's put this through the lens of comedy first. Like I'll be conscious about doing that and trying to find the funny in something, um, whether it be a personal experience or an observation or a social observation or a something that happens on the train you know it's like what is funny about this thing and that's like you're making that conscious choice uh has definitely helped in general with how i process the world you know whether it be something very sad or you know something as as bleak as depression or uh what have you it's definitely like a purposeful decision and i've definitely found that it helps um in general let alone uh, a driving comedy content you know mm -hmm. yeah and like um so out of all that you know what is it that you like you seem to be quite a, a thoughtful comedian and so like, <laughs> what is it that you want um your audiences to kind of take away from your sets or your content or your comedy in general like what are you hoping people take away from that I just want people to laugh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if they find whatever they find in it, then they find something in it. Um, there's definitely things that I've said <laughs> trying to make a point. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's only to service the, the joke or the, the laughter. Um, I've definitely, I, I remember distinctly like one or two times having done a set like this is probably five or six years ago. Um, and someone coming up and someone coming after me afterwards and not referencing a specific joke, just but, but just being like, yo, I needed a laugh today and thank you. And it was just mm. like, oh, that's fucking cool. Um, and so if I can uh, cause a cozy condition uh, for a little while, that that's dope. Um, and if you learn something, you learn something, but that's not necessarily the intent. Um, it, it's like a, a side effect maybe, and maybe you got get to thinking about something, but the goal ultimately is to make you laugh at something you didn't think you would laugh at. This is kind of like what we were talking, um, Anna and I were talking about earlier, just like, you know, you hear this phrase of like laughter is medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, was there a time where, you know, maybe you, you tried to kind of remedy the situation with laughter and didn't quite hit, or maybe the other way around where, you know, laughter didn't seem appropriate here, but it made all the difference. Like, has there been any, any unexpected moments? I've definitely, I've definitely thought I could be funnier than the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, when like, uh, I think when, uh, I can't remember the shooting, but I've definitely like, gone on stage like uh, the day or two days after a, a shooting and try to been like all right what's what is funny about just our re- as as a country what's funny about our reactions to something mm-hmm. and that's definitely i just didn't have the the joke to carry it over um but in general it's like i don't know in general, I just kind of approach it like, okay, if I can, if I, if something makes me laugh, then I'll go ahead and, and, and go for it and see if it hits. Um, and a lot of times it doesn't, um, but that might, that's uh, sometimes a function of the fact that the the timing is not right. You know, people, like, I just don't get the mood or, or the, I don't have the gravity to talk about it, or I try to talk about it flippantly or, uh, without setting the table for the gravity of it all. I remember after Kobe died, I think I went on stage that night and I was just a mess. Um, mm. And I tried some jokes out that I maintain as jokes um, that are on the Patel 2020 thing that I put. That's like the mm. opening joke. But I'd started that joke, um, I think like the day or two he died, a day or two after he died. And it was still like, a little raw for people and it was raw for me and I hadn't figured out the joke um, fully yet. And so that process took a lot of stumbling and people like, what the fuck? But then once I got it, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is funny enough that uh, uh, it gets over the hump of it being very sad. Mm. Um, And it also comes from a place of love in that I fucking love Kobe Bryant. And so um, that combination helps. Yeah. How do, you, you know, how do you balance being like a comedian uh, full stop versus a South Asian comedian? Because a lot of your topics do cross all kinds of lines and yet you are undeniably an Indian comedian. So what do you do about that? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I answer, I put this to, recently I've put this to executives, network exec, pitch executives and, and, you know, people in industry. It's like how, 
how dare you try to separate anything I do from my Indianness? Literally everything I do is Indian. <laughs> me wearing this polo is Indian. You know, like me drinking coffee, I'm drinking Indian coffee. Like everything I do is Indian. Yeah. And so just by default. To say like your comedy is, you know, Indian versus your comedy is not Indian. It's like, no, it's just you don't understand that uh we're not like some monolith, you know, it's not like every, like this specific thing is the only Indian shit I'm gonna talk about. Literally everything I do is Indian and therefore your bracketing of my comedy as Indian is incorrect on its base. And mm -hmm. so when I talk about something like Kobe or I talk about COVID or I talk about um, having sex, it's, it's, it, it's all Indian, you know, like, so, <laughs> uh, but I get the, I get the industry perspective or the outside with the, the non me perspective. It's like, Oh, you know, these are certain things that rely on an understanding of a shared culture of being Indian or you're just trying to elucidate something that's uniquely Indian. Um, and that, I think at the beginning was sort of a conscious choice. Um, when I started comedy, it was like, you know, I'm not gonna necessarily talk about just stuff growing up that was very Indian focused because I, A, I thought that was limiting and B, like I grew up in Jersey. And so I was surrounded by Indian people. So everything that I thought was normal was just like people didn't, I, I, everything people thought was unique and special. I was like, what the fuck? That was my everyday. I grew up yeah. with like, I grew up with 16 first cousins, you know, and all within like, uh, for the most part, like 30 minutes from where I lived. You know, I mm. went to school with, uh, um, four of my cousins and so like high school with like four of my cousins and my sister and uh, uh and so like every and, and like there were like i want to say 20 something patels in my graduating senior class so like <laughs> maybe like 40 or 50 in my high school class in general patels not just indians but, yeah. but specifically patels so like you know the 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 indianness of it all never really hit me so it was like i'm Everything I do is Indian. I've, I've been surrounded by Indian shit. Um, I can talk about other things. And, yeah. and you know, this is Indian stuff is normal to me. What's not normal to me is like what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, I'm sure that informed subconsciously and now definitely consciously like the decisions of what I talk about. Um, and there's also the sense that when a lot of Indian comedians or any kind of ethnic group, they talk about their ethnicity. You get the sense if you're not that group that that's all they do is talk about their ethnicity, which is right. not the case, of course. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, I know plenty of comics who, it, you know, it's like saying, oh, hey, don't talk about not having an arm. You know, <laughs> it's not all you are, but it's a significant part about of who you are. And so therefore right. you will talk about it. And then if you were willing to listen, I'll talk about other shit. <laughs> you know like so so that's really a, a a flaw of people who watch comedy or, uh, or or mostly a flaw of people who watch or try to consider themselves comedy understanders it's like oh this person only talks about being indian shit no that's like the first five minutes to kind of hook you in or at least like talk about the most obvious thing and then if if it works then they'll then you'll listen to the rest of it. That's the plan. It's mm -hmm. not. It's not incumbent upon the comic to 
to let you know they talk about other shit too. It's like you're the audience. You have to pay attention. Otherwise, you know, what's you have no purpose other than just sit and absorb absorb shit, which is sure, great, but it's weak. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think it's also like just coming from a place of we haven't been used to seeing all these different types of faces and ethnicities so now when you know a few people start talking about the same thing or same experience it seems like oh it's just in that group but it's like we've we've probably been listening to a lot of things that were like you know categorized as white but it just seemed like the default normal and so now when there are other things coming in it mm. sounds like oh that's different and that's like being categorized in this thing but we're all just talking about our life experiences right. um and you're just like hearing different experiences now yeah that's exactly right i think uh um when comics and, and also like people don't give enough leeway or understanding of said comedy process right it's like when you start comedy the only thing you think about is yourself and for the most part yourself and like how you grew up the stuff that you know the most Mm -hmm. and the stuff that makes you feel the most unique is you know like if you're if you're indian comic or an ethnic comic that grew up in kansas of course, your Indianness was at the forefront of your comedy because this is probably a huge part of your life is feeling other. Right. And talking about that. And then it just so happens that a bunch of other ethnic comics also felt other and therefore they all talk about that. Whereas for me, it's like I, ne- I felt other in different ways, but being Indian definitely wasn't one of them. <laughs> uh, you know, it was like just fucking 50 of us. You, know? right. <laughs> you, you weren't the about? exotic one out. Like you were no. like, oh, okay, there are other people who look just like me. <laughs> there was an Indian cultural club in my school in addition to the multicultural club. That's how many <laughs> Indians we had. We had our own subset of cultural club because we could, the multicultural club was almost exclusively non-Indian. It was like all the other people, they had their own club and then we had Indian culture club. Yeah. So that's how surrounded by Indian shit I was. It was just like, why would I talk about that? <laughs> like everyone talks about it. <laughs> no, everyone doesn't, everyone didn't grow up surrounded by Indian people because I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome that the space is so like inclusive and open enough that now we can, you know, find those or hear those different perspectives, even within different ethnic categories. We have the ones who do feel othered, the ones who feel less othered, or for various different reasons. It's not just the same, the same tropes or anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, I mean, when shit's, when comedy started for Indian people, I think it might have been Russ. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was. And then the subsequent comics that came after him, um, like they were like, there was like four of them, you know, so, or a handful. So like, mm-hmm. of course they're going to talk about being Indian because like no one else has even heard about comics talking about that shit. Right. That was a new thing. That was right. different. But it's so funny how quickly people's patience ran out with hearing about that shit. And it's like, yeah. why? That's on you. That's on you to think that every, even if some Indian person talks about being Indian, it's on, you're the problem if you think that's a problem. Yeah. 
I mean, if anything, like we've heard dick jokes since the dawn of time and no one's gotten tired of that. So it's like, why, why can't we just keep on, you know, you talk about what you want to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you did talk about, you know, kind of mental health and how that's been on your mind. And I just think it's so interesting about how that, like, it's just so intertwined with mental health and especially an industry or a profession like a comedy where you like your success or failure is in a way, in a big way, dependent on other people, their perception of you, how they take you, you know, you've talked about where things don't work out um, and you're like figuring it out. So, I mean, I just feel like mental health seems like it could be rough for a comedian. So like how, like what's been your, I guess, experience with that or how do you deal with their view mental health being a comedian so you know i didn't start like i said earlier like i didn't start thinking about mental health um uh, until i would say like four or five years ago Mm -hmm. um seriously uh and you know what they don't tell you about comedy um but it's it's obvious if you if you think about it it's a purely entrepreneurial endeavor Mm. and it can be very isolating and you need a lot of self-motivation and you can't be um, a person who's not resilient. You can't be a person who uh, who does not know how to handle things that would normally be blows to your ego uh, or blows to your mental health in the sense of like, you know, sure you get rejected once, but if you're rejected a billion times, you, it, kind of, it does definitely wear on you and you cannot be someone who doesn't have the fortitude to go through that. Um, but four or five years ago, it wasn't a function of, oh shit, I, I, I've always felt confident and um, uh, driven. And you know, I've always understood that this is purely entrepreneurial endeavor and I'm on my own, so to speak. Mm. Uh, but four or five years ago, you know, someone, a few people close to me were going through some mental health stuff. And I was like, let me look into this. Uh, and and then I, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And the process of understanding your own mental health is kind of uh, elucidating in the sense you uncover things that you didn't, you start making connections that you didn't know were affecting your emotion and how you handle those things. So it's like, oh, maybe I don't handle rejection well because X, Y, Z happened to me at some point in my life. If I can make X, Y, Z funny, then... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be able to talk, tackle the next rejection because it's definitely going to come. Um, mm. And so that was really the start of it. And then, you know, I went to one therapy session um, just to see what it was about. And I was like feeling a certain way. I was, I, I don't, I don't have depression, um, but I was feeling like, it, what am I thinking, right? What, what is mm. going in my brain right now? And even that one conversation that I had with the therapist, that was in like February of this year. Uh, was it this year or my, was it end of last year? I don't remember. I, it pr- feels like an eon ago, but it was, definitely, <laughs> it was definitely it was definitely relatively recently, within the last yeah. year um, that I went to this therapy session. And even that session, while I didn't pursue therapy beyond that, uh, uh, I still think back on and I can still draw connections to what I said then to how I operate and view things. And even that germ of like, maybe I can, maybe I can process 
emotions that I'm feeling now through a lens of what happened back when I was a kid or, or uh, in my past that is making me feel this way. And if I can understand that, then I won't necessarily feel that way. Um, and so that was like really elucidating. Uh, the problem, uh, among other things, was that this shit was $250 a session. And I was like, all right, uh, that's, that's great. Um, and if I desperately needed it, then I would definitely go. But I don't, I never felt like I needed it. It was just more like, okay, let me, let me try this out and see what the benefits are. That said, you know, I know people that go to therapy constantly or they go like more often than I would and they only say good things about it. Um, and I definitely see the value in it um, uh, from a from an absolute value basis. Right. Like it, if I had all the money in the world, I would go all the time. I kind of view it as a gym for your brain you know mm. it's like I think if parents or or our generation's parents and in our generation framed it that way it might push people to uh, do it even more you know like anything to get an edge and if that edge is to be you know you might get a tutor to be better at math but you should definitely get a, a therapist to get better at your right. emotional yeah. intelligence you know Oh, I love that. Uh, that that someone needs out. to get on that pitch is like, yeah, it's like a tutor for your brain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, like emotional intelligence is more valuable than most any other kind of intelligence. And if at the very least, even if you're not going through something, that's to say, even if you're not experiencing depression or other like serious mental illness, like uh, uh, that therapy is valuable in that sense. It's like it will help you become a more emotionally intelligent person such that when you find yourself in a situation that previously you would not know have reacted or would have reacted in a, a less than beneficial way and even in detrimental way, you'll be able to adapt to that situation better. And that's definitely like going to that one therapy session helped trigger that kind of uh, a shift in how I operate. Um, mm -hmm. and it's been a shift that I've definitely gone through before therapy, but uh, it definitely uh, was a, a, a another nudge in that direction, and so like like, more consciously that, doing uh, it. Yeah, and I think that is like uh, if I would say anything to anyone that's even thinking about it, it's like it's it, it will only help, um, and it'll make you uh, a more elite whatever it is you're doing. Um, if mm -hmm. only because emotional intelligence applies to everything that you're doing at every point in your life. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people you know because therapy is expensive you know i've i've tried to find resources online like uh -huh. psychologists that do lectures you know like esther perel Brene brown jordan peterson sam harris do do you follow any of these kind of uh, characters and uh study oh, uh, what they uh, recommend you know i i don't follow anybody i know because i've been working on this stand-up bit for a while and i've tabled it for a minute just because of work and stuff but sure and not being get on excuse me not being able to get on stage but like i think last year i started thinking about the idea of radicalization and you know all that to say like the the brain is a very strong but also very weak thing in that it can be heavily influenced by most anything if it's repeated enough or you allow yourself to be influenced by it and so, you know, if you start listening to 
I just watched that Nexium documentary on, on the Val on HBO, and uh, you know you see people who are kind of brainwashed by shit, and it's like I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm like listening to one person constantly tell me how I should be thinking and, and approaching life. It's more like I want to be in a position to uh, apply my own uh, uh, filters and, and um, thought processes to things that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And so sh short answer is no uh, to your question of do I follow anybody? And that's a conscious decision to be like, I don't want to be influenced by anyone besides myself. Um, and I'll definitely take pointers um, and I'll read stuff uh, because I think reading, you, you have a much natural way to be like, okay, this is, this is crazy or I, I can put this down now. Whereas, you know, listening and watching stuff is a lot more hypnotic and the brain is such a weird thing that, you know, if you allow yourself to be influenced by something, it will definitely happen. So. Hmm. Yeah. That's fair a point. Really, it's definitely a balance. A point, yeah. Yeah. Sorry if that's um, not uh, what you were looking for, but uh, we're gonna uh, cut that out. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we're we're here to hear hear your thoughts on it. Um, and did I think you had like a few questions or yeah. like some like closing out questions? Mm -hmm. We're coming up on forty five minutes, so you know we're we're really grateful that you spent even this amount of time with us. Oh, I cannot um, wait to go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I, I was watching uh, James Lipton on that uh, Inside the Actors Studio, and I thought I'd ask him some kind of gimmick, gimmicky questions. But have you watched the Chappelle one? Yeah, that's the best I one. I know. Um, so here's the gimmicky question. Okay, uh, three ways you're lucky, two ways you're talented, and one way you're growing. Three ways I'm lucky: uh, my wife, my parents, and the rest of my family um two ways i'm talented yeah uh i'm i'm a mean joke writer um and i think uh beyond that i'm a decent stand-up comedian and one way i'm growing uh i'm working on being a better stand-up comedian and also you know just physically stronger <laughs> so two answers <laughs> to the last one but yeah yeah right on Hey, thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot to us. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I hope this has been helpful. Let me know how else I can spread the Munmukti word. Uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. Thanks, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We'll let you go back to sleep now. Oh, I can't <laughs> Good wait. <night. laughs> My bed is waiting. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>